VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on Crosstalk today here on VCY America. Ladies and gentlemen, for thousands of years, mankind has been fascinated with the question of what will happen in the future. So for answers, people are turning to their local neighborhood palm reader shops. Some will follow their daily horoscope. Psychics abound on many television channels by telephone and online. Just this morning, I typed the word psychic into a search engine, and in half a second, 230 million responses came up. There's great interest in the future. However, one of the places, though, that uh, most people have refused to look is at the pages of Scripture. Jesus himself was asked by his disciples on future events, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the uh, end of the world? Well, our program today is going to focus primarily on these two chapters of Scripture, Matthew 24 and 25, in which Jesus addressed this important issue in what's been titled the Olivet Discourse. Joining us in studio today, we welcome back Dr. Richard Schmidt. He is pastor of the Union Grove Baptist Church, Union Grove, Wisconsin. Also heads the Prophecy Focus Ministries. He's a speaker on the WVCY television program, Prophecy Focus, which is also available to all at vcy.tv, and the radio program, Prophecy Unfolding. Prior to his uh, current pastoral ministry, he spent uh, over three decades in law enforcement, including becoming acting sheriff of Milwaukee County in 2017 until his retirement in 2019, but uh, also has uh, been a student of Bible prophecy. He's the author of several books, including one being discussed today, Tribulation to Triumph, the Olivet Discourse. Pastor Schmidt, welcome back to Crosstalk. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Well, while many shy away from Bible prophecy today, I, I know that there are some pastors just don't want to preach it, but prophecy makes up a good portion of Scripture, does it not? Well, absolutely it does. Uh, when the Bible was originally written, one-third of the Bible was Bible prophecy. Now, there's an individual named Dr. John Walvoord who discusses this in a great book he wrote called Every Prophecy of the Bible. There's literally, he points out from Genesis to Revelation, there's 1,000 different prophecies. 500 of those have been fulfilled exactly as stated, meaning there's 500 more to be fulfilled. So it's a tremendous subject that we really need to dive into. So when you said fulfilled of those 500 first prophecies, we're talking being fulfilled to every detail. Would we expect nothing more than the other prophecies to also be fulfilled? Well, I think that's a very good deduction. If God fulfilled 500 prophecies exactly as written, and they've been fulfilled exactly as written, then, of course, I think uh, based on God's record, which Mm -hmm. is perfect, that he'll continue to fulfill them exactly as written. Today we're going to delve into two chapters of Scripture, Matthew 24 and 25, and and you've written extensively extensively about these two chapters. Uh, referred to the uh, referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, before we get into some of the details, what is the context uh, that that brings us this Olivet Discourse? Well, it's an absolutely phenomenal passage. When you think of the Gospels, you don't really think of it being a prophetic area, but yet two of the most important prophetic chapters in Scripture are actually spoken by Jesus Himself, Matthew twenty four and twenty five which are reiterated in Mark 13 and Luke 21. So what Jesus is doing, it's a couple of days actually before he's going to be crucified. He's meeting with the disciples, and he's telling them point blank what is going to take place in the future before his second coming happens. Now, as you pointed out, these are largely, in fact, the words of Jesus. Those who have a Bible with the words of Jesus in red, you're going to find all but just a couple of verses that are that are not in red, uh, that are in black, as Jesus is speaking in these chapters. Um, but at what point in Jesus' ministry did this Olivet Discourse take place? All right, again, what we're looking at is Jesus is coming up to his crucifixion. It's the Passion Week. It's the last couple of days before he's going to go to the cross. 
the disciples come up to him, and it's a, it's just a wonderful narrative. It starts, of course, in verse 1, and uh, Jesus and the disciples are coming out of the beautiful, magnificent second temple that existed at that time. Jesus walks out. The disciples stop him in amazement. They're just—they can't believe how beautiful this temple is. They stop Jesus. Basically, they turn around. They look at the temple— and they say, boy, look at this, look at the temple, look at the surroundings. And Jesus starts this magnificent prophecy by making this statement, not one stone, speaking of the temple, shall be left upon another that shall not be cast down. Forty years later, after the ascension of Christ, that's literally what happened. Not one stone was left. So that prophecy's come to pass, starting in verse 3 and on through the end of Matthew 25, verse 46. All these things have yet to take place. So this is very exciting. And I'm sure that temple coming down, I mean, that, that they couldn't fathom that, that scenario that Jesus unfolded before them. Well, I like to liken it to if uh, you were standing by the World Trade Centers and you looked up uh, before they were torn down uh, by the bombs— and the people would look up. It's magnificent. How could something this massive ever be hurt? And that had to be the same attitude the disciples had towards that beautiful, massive second temple. That was just seemingly impossible. How could such a thing happen? Yet, as God always uh, puts in prophecy, and by the way, Daniel prophesied the same thing in Daniel nine twenty six that that second temple would be destroyed. That was over 500 years wow. before Christ said it. And did it happen exactly as God stated? Okay, so again, the setting, this is Passion Week. The triumphal entry has already happened and leading up then to the crucifixion. Absolutely. That's that's the, chrono, that's the chronology of it. Mm-hmm. So a few days earlier, Jesus walks into Jerusalem. The crowds are going wild. They're happy. Here's Jesus, the miracle worker, providing things. And all of a sudden, in a very, very, very short period of time, the people turn against Christ. Why? Because he starts to condemn their false religions that they've been following. Now, I find that very interesting because as these questions are asked to the disciples um, and when these things were going to take place, Jesus really kind of begins by giving a warning about deception itself. Well, he does. In uh, uh, multiple times, uh, the word deceive is used in the Olivet Discourse. Mm-hmm. He's warning the disciples, be careful. False Christs are going to rise. False teachers are going to rise. These are part of the signs that Jesus is giving regarding his second coming. Now, not the rapture of the church, and we'll get, I'm sure we'll get to that, but he's talking about the time when he will return to this earth to set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom, which corresponds with Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. So, you know, and we'll be getting that in our interview here today. Uh, Richard Schmidt with us on Crosstalk. We're discussing his book, Tribulation to Triumph, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus's Powerful Prophetic Preaching. Um, Jesus does address their question, uh, which you cover in chapter three of your book, Nine Signs of the Lord's Second Advent. Before we speak of the signs, let's make sure we understand what you mean when you use that word, Second Advent. And I, I think that would be good for us to to get that basis uh, right. understood. Well, here's here's the issue. And there's two different major events where Jesus is going to return. The first return is what we refer to as the rapture of the church, where Jesus Christ will return in the air, in the clouds. He does not come to the earth. It's a major difference. So that would not be an advent as such, a second advent. That's correct. That's basically Jesus coming in the air to take one generation of Christians home, spoken about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, and 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 4. That's the next event on God's, if you will, prophetic calendar for the church-age saints. The church is taken up to heaven. Now we get into the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is describing multiple signs that are going to take place before he literally returns to this earth to set up his kingdom. Feet on the ground. Absolutely. Okay. So tell us about these nine signs for that uh, that that second advent. Well, there's multiple signs that Jesus refers to. And basically, they kind of correspond with Revelation 6. So Revelation 6, Matthew 24, and other passages detail these things. Actually, uh, uh, we have charts that are in the book on page 73. We talk about several of those signs. False messiahs will come. False prophets will come. Wars will pop up. Now, people are saying, well, those things are happening today. Nothing near the magnitude that's going to happen during this catastrophic seven-year period. 
horrible famines to the point where the economy as we know today, and we're watching horrible things happening with inflation and so forth, nothing compared to what God talks about when horrible famines will take place. Matthew 24 speaks about this. Matthew or, or Revelation 6 also refers to this. Pestilences, persecution, martyrdom like's never been seen. Now, people say, well, wait a minute, the church is in heaven at this point. That's correct. But many folks will still come to Christ during that tribulation period. Massive amount of them will be martyred. Tremendous earthquakes, comic cosmic disturbances, all these things will be signs that will take place before Jesus returns. You use the word pestilences. What do you mean by that? Well, we, we, when we're looking at the amount of famine and the amount of death taking place, there's going to be, and just two judgments that are talked about, uh, talk about literally 50% of the world's population, or 7.3 billion people split in half, will die during this time. That is going to breed massive amount of disease, massive amount of vermin, and we're just talking about rats and mice and sickness and all these things. I guess the best way, Jim, that we could describe it, it's going to be something like COVID-19 on steroids. Wow, wow. Um, so these nine signs are going to unfold, and as you start talking about them, you're talking about these different things, and we see there is famine taking place in many places. We're being warned, even in today's news, about the famine that's coming when we see what's happening with Russia and Ukraine right now. We are seeing all the uh, food processing plants, all these mysterious fires. We're seeing uh, communist China buying up farmland here in the United States and uh, entities that are very much against beef and so forth. Could we be setting the stage for some of these things to happen? Well, Jim, I couldn't have said it better myself. My good friend who is now with the Lord, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, always made that statement. The things we're seeing now are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. All the things that you just mentioned, uh, the famines, the sickness, the uh, uh, the pandemics, all these different things, Satan is, and I firmly believe this, Satan is setting the stage now so when God's judgments, his wrath is literally poured out on this earth, as talked about by Jesus in Matthew 24, by the Apostle John in Revelation, basically people are going to be dismissive of God's signs because they're going to look back at the things that Satan has already done in this current age, and they'll be dismissive, dismissive of it. And that's exactly what God says. Their hearts will be hardened, and they basically won't put their faith and trust in Christ to a great degree. We're talking about the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Does this discourse lay out fully or only in part what's going to transpire during the seven-year tribulation? Oh, this is only in part. So Jesus is picking out some of the key things that he wanted to get to his disciples. So again, the Olivet Discourse, the actual content is part of Matthew 24. Then there's a multiple parables given. If you want the real meat of this, you've got to go to Revelation, starting at chapter 4, verse 2, all the way through Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 21. That's a whole lot more information that God revealed yeah. to the Apostle John. So Jesus is just given a little piece of it here. Okay. Well, friends, we're going to take a quick break on Crosstalk. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Richard Schmidt today and uh, his author, Tribulation to Triumph, the Olivet Discourse. And uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about things like the abomination of desolation. We're going to be talking about the time of great tribulation uh, as well. So uh, stay with us. More information to come. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, author and seminar speaker with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, today is a heavy topic. Is there a scientific explanation for suicide bombers? Chris, our world today is on edge because of a suicidal terrorist. Since evolution claims to be a theory of everything, there must be an evolutionary explanation for even this self-destructive behavior. And sure enough, some evolutionists are now saying that suicidal tendencies are a variation of an evolutionary adaptation that was previously useful in some evolutionary sense. Creationists just stand back and wonder how they can be so misguided, so deceived. The Bible says that man was created initially in a very good state, in the image of God. 
Yet when Adam rebelled against God's order, creation was permanently distorted, and now we live in a world dominated by sin's ruinous effects. Chris, so you see, what began back in Genesis continues today, even with suicidal bombers. Thanks, Dr. Morris. Tribulation to Triumph, the Olivet Discourse. We're talking about Matthew chapters 24 and 25 today, Jesus' powerful prophetic preaching. Our guest, Dr. Richard Schmidt, who is author of this book, pastor of Union Grove Baptist Church, and uh, much information to unfold. We will uh, really scratch the surface through this interview here today. A little bit later, we'll tell you how you can obtain a copy uh, of this book. Uh, Pastor Schmidt, or rather, Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 15 refers to the abomination of desolation and references Daniel in doing so. So what can you tell us about this abomination of desolation? Well, this is going to be one of the massive events that's going to take place in Bible prophecy. So the abomination of desolation, and even as you go through Matthew 24, it basically is almost halfway through Matthew 24. That's not by coincidence. The abomination of desolation is going to take place at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. And it is talked about in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, where it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And then he goes through multiple things. Way back 500 and some B.C., when Daniel wrote about this, He made it very clear. There's no temple in Jerusalem right now. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, he'll confirm a peace treaty with the Jewish people for seven years. And Daniel 9.27 then says, in the midst of that three and a half, or midst of that seven-year period, which of course is three and a half years, 1,260 days, 42 months, those are referring to when this abomination of desolation will take place. Now, let me just very quickly state what that is. What's going to happen, and this was actually a, uh, Daniel 11 talks about a, if you will, a prototype, a type of what would take place. Antiochus Epiphanes, back about 150 BC, a little bit before that, he came into the current temple that existed, the second temple, slit the throat of a pig, poured pig's broth on the altar, which was the prototype of the abomination of desolation. What we're talking about here. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 refers to it, but actually the best understanding of it is actually found in the book of Revelation chapter 13. The false prophet comes on the scene, the third member of the satanic trinity made up of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. In Revelation 13, about halfway through the chapter, the false prophet says, listen, we're going to make an image to Antichrist. We're going to put it in the temple, and that is going to be the abomination of desolation where this horrible image that can speak here, it's just going to be an amazing thing. It's going to be a robotic kind of an object that literally is going to be able to talk, speak, and actually those that don't worship it are going to be put to death. That is the abomination of desolation happens three and a half years into that seven-year tribulation period, and that starts what is known as, from Matthew 24, uh, the Great Tribulation. So it's going to be a horrible, horrible time. Well, what is, in this passage, the end of uh, chapter 24, verse 15, there's a pretty strong, strong statement that leads us into the next verses, but why will this man of peace suddenly turn and wreak such havoc? Well, that's a great question. What we have to do is go back to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. Now, again, Revelation 12, I'm I'm not the best mathematician, but if you go to Revelation chapter 6 through 19, that pretty much goes chronologically, except for a few parenthetical passages. Revelation 12, six chapters pass when the tribulation really is kicking in. What happens? Antichrist is going to be empowered by Satan. You say, well, how does that happen? Satan, according to Revelation 12, currently still has access to God. There's going to be a war in heaven starting in Revelation 12, 7. What's going to happen? Satan, his demonic angels, are cast out of heaven, sent down to this earth, never more to be able to infiltrate heaven. And the Bible states this, Satan is 
absolutely beside himself because he knows that his time is short. In other words, that first three and a half years of pseudo-peace for Israel now will turn into the greatest holocaust of all times because Satan is furious. He wants to wipe out God's people. He wants to wipe out the Jewish people, and he's on fire mad, and that's when this abomination of desolation is going to happen. Chapter 6 of your book is entitled The Great Tribulation, and that's the very words that are used in Matthew 24, verse 41. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Tell us about this great tribulation. Right. Well, again, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, what God is pointing out is there's going to be this horrible, massive great tribulation. Why is it the Great Tribulation? Again, those first three and a half years are characterized by a pseudo-peace for the Jewish people. That comes right out of Daniel 9, verse 27. When Satan is cast out of heaven, now game on. Satan is angry, and God's wrath also is going to be exponentially increased. You talked uh, when we started the program about the, the various judgments that will be taking place, speaking of the seals, trumpets, thunders, and bowler vile judgments. In Revelation chapter 16 now, which also corresponds with Matthew 24, starting at verse 21 and on, the worst catastrophic judgments that God is going to pour out his wrath upon this earth will be taking place at that time. Why? Because God is preparing to come back in, the, in Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back, this earth must be purged of everything that is evil, and he is going to set the stage in the Great Tribulation for his second coming. I'd like you, and you've got a chart on page 157 in your book, and I'm going to have you and just just briefly review what these judgments are, these seal judgments. Then we're going to look ahead to page 161 where you have the trumpet judgments laid out and then the vile or the bold judgments. But what, what will happen in these judgments? Right. Well, the first seal judgments, and uh, actually Matthew chapter 24, verse 8, makes it clear that the judgments are going to get increasingly worse like birth pangs. Now, if you have a King James Bible or others, it will point out and use those words, birth pangs. What is it pointing to? Well, how does labor start? And every lady can tell us that. The labor pains start out, they're not as severe, they're not fun, they're not good, but the, the labor starts out a little bit less intense, and then it gets closer together, those contractions, harder contractions until the birth takes place. And God compares the seal judgments are basically those first part of, if you will, those birth pangs. What's going to take place? Well, we have uh, the Antichrist comes on the scene, starts this uh, one world system, tremendous violence that will be taking place. The uh, famine will just be so bad. Folks, it's not going to be like today where some people are starving. The entire earth is, earth is going to be under a huge famine, and that's picked up in Revelation chapter 6, verse 5. Then in this fourth seal judgment is a catastrophic event. One-fourth of the earth population will die by sword, famine, plagues, and wild beasts. One-fourth of the earth's population. That means out of your 7.3 billion people that exist today, 1.8 billion will die. Believers will be martyred. Catastrophic world disasters, great earthquakes, the sun turned black, the moon turn blood red, stars fall to the earth. All these terrific events are going to be taking place. Well, that's basically the seal judgments. Then we get into the next set known as the trumpet judgments. I like to call these, Jim, the one-third judgments because one-third basically of all resources are going to be destroyed during this particular time under the trumpet judgments. One-third of the earth is burned. One-third of the trees are burned up. One-third of the sea one-third of the ships destroyed. So it just keeps going through. All these catastrophic things will be taking place. Uh, we go down to Trumpet 6. Uh, there's going to be a 200 million person army that's going to be raised up. Now, some people have referred to that as uh, uh, referring to China and men. I don't believe that's the case. These are demonic beings that are going to be raised up to literally destroy one third of mankind. Now, one-fourth already died in Revelation 6, 8. Now we have one-third that's going to be destroyed, which gets you to that 50% population decrease by these 200 million demonic troops that will come out and kill one-third of mankind. Then we have a parenthetical in Revelation chapter 10 called the 
thunder judgments. Those judgments are not even stated. So you can use your imagination. We know how bad the seals are, the trumpets are, the bowl or vile judgments are. And God said, okay, I'm going to let you think about these seven because I'm not going to tell you what they are. Then we get to the final catastrophic events of Revelation 16 that must happen uh, very, very close to when the second coming happens, because literally, here's what's going to happen. All pure water is going to turn to blood. Now, that can't last very long, or there'll be literally no flesh left. Horrible, horrible thing that'll be taking place. The uh, the kingdom, if you will, be will be absolute darkness, rivers, springs, uh, turned to blood, water dried up. We talk about, and we talk about China a lot. This in Revelation 16 talks about the river Euphrates drying up. Jim, right before the program, you may mention, wow, the river Euphrates happens to be drying up. Have you seen that? I'm like, yeah, it's it's an amazing thing. Now, is this pointing to, is this setting the stage for Revelation 16? Could be. We don't know for sure, but it's amazing that it's happening right now as we speak. What's going to happen? The kings of the east will come. Uh, all the nations, according to Zechariah 14, will come down, converge on Israel, and Jesus Christ will return at the end of those seal or vile judgments, and he will set up his kingdom as he wipes out all those who offended him at the battle of Armageddon. Well, friends, many of the, well, these judgments are all laid out in this book, Tribulation to Triumph. Uh, Pastor Schmidt has gone through these rather quickly. More details are in the book itself, and we are making the book available through Crosstalk, our way of saying thank you for your support of $15 or more. Uh, the book normally retails for $20. We're making it available for $15 or more. It's uh, nearly uh, just over 270 pages. Uh, the book is in length. That does include shipping to you. If you'd like to obtain a copy of this book, Tribulation to Triumph, uh, it's available uh, by uh, going to our website, vcyamerica.org, vcyamerica.org, or you may call our toll-free number at 800-729-9829, 1-800-729-9829, or sending your gift to Crosstalk, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Pastor, some would say that this Olivet Discourse is proof that believers will go through the tribulation. Now, you said earlier that they're not. Uh, for instance, Matthew twenty four twenty two, it talks about days be shortened for the sake of the elect. Verse 24, again, warns of false prophets and false Christ and their great deception, says if it were possible that they should deceive the very elect. And then verse 13, but he shall, uh, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Help us understand what is being said here, if indeed there is a rapture. Right. Well, this is one of the, the big conundrums that uh, we face in the theological community. If you ask people, when did the church age begin, almost across the board, uh, those that hold to a biblical interp- or a literal biblical interpretation will tell you it starts in Acts chapter 2. Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John happen to chronologically fall before the church age begins. Jesus is still talking to the Jewish people. Now, there's great application that's in the Gospels, but when you get down to the literal interpretation, this is not talking to the church age saints. Now, the individual that happened to have written the foreword for this book, Dr. Thomas Ice, who's the head of the Pre-Trib Research Center, uh, very strongly, along with all the scholars that are part of the Pre-Trib group, of which I'm a part, make it very clear when we're interpreting Scripture, we must do it according to historical, contextual, grammatical, and literal. So when we look at the context, this is indeed talking to the Jewish people at this time. We'll be back in just a minute with more discussion. Pastor Richard Schmidt, our guest here today on Crosstalk, will be back in a minute here on the VCY America Network. Part of the Thief in the Night series, here is a clip from A Distant Thunder. Your right hand, please. That trick, young woman, is used in here 50 times a day. Now, if you want your child cared for, you must have your ID. I can't take the mark. (laughs) My baby is dying. 
The Thief in the Night four-part Prophecy DVD set is available from VCY America as our way of saying thank you for your donation of $25 or more. The set includes A Thief in the Night, A Distant Thunder, Image of the Beast, and Prodigal Planet. Call VCY America at 1-800-729-9829, 1-800-729-9829, or order online at vcyamerica.org. Friends, we don't need to go to the tarot cards. We don't need to go to the Ouija board. We don't need to go to the horoscopes to know what's going to unfold for the future as Scripture lays it out. Here we're discussing the Olivet Discourse in Matthews chapter 24 and 25. Pastor Richard Schmidt with us here today on the broadcast. I'd like to uh, jump to Matthew 24, 29 that uh, addresses immediately after the tribulation additional matters unfolding, some additional signs. What can you share with us about that? Well, first of all, that's a great point, because in verse 29, it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. What is he referring to? Jesus is saying, listen, when the tribulation period is coming to an end, after the seven-year period is coming to an end, after all these signs have been fulfilled, here's what's going to take place. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 is setting the stage for Jesus Christ to return. He's referencing, basically quoting part from Isaiah 13, verses 9 to 13, Joel chapter 2, verses 30 to 32. And here's what he says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. So Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is saying, listen, all the signs during the tribulation, that seven-year period, will have now ended. If they haven't figured out by now that I'm coming back, it's too late, because when I come back, I'm going to do a catastrophic event with the sun, the moon, the stars, and down Jesus comes, and he will be seen by all people when he makes that glorious appearing. So you're saying that's when the second advent happens and at that point? Absolutely. Okay, and where does that happen? Well, the Bible makes it real clear. Uh, I love this passage. If you go to Acts chapter 1, which is the ascension of Jesus, he's standing on the top of uh, uh, the Mount of Olives, and uh, the disciples are there, and uh, several angels are there as well, if you look at the uh, verses 8 through 11. And all of a sudden, Jesus ascends up to heaven, and the angels that are standing there make this statement— the same Jesus, the way he went up to heaven is exactly the same way he will return. Well, we go back to prophecy, the prophet Zechariah back in around uh, 500 B.C., and what does he state? He basically says the exact same thing 500 years earlier. When Jesus returns, he will step down onto the Mount of Olives. He will split the Mount of Olives in two, and then there's a, a, a series of events that will take place as Jesus returns to set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom. Pastor Richard Schmidt with us here today and uh, discussing the Olivet Discourse. And after Jesus talks about all of these things, after this teaching on these things to come, Jesus starts to give parables. Now, what's the significance of parables in his teaching about future things? Well, again, Jesus made it clear that the parables were used because individuals that are willing to trust Christ, that are willing to put their faith in him, these parables become apparent as to what they mean. For those who refuse to re to accept Christ as free gift of eternal life through placing their faith in him, this becomes a muddied area. In other words, if they don't have the Spirit of God living with them in them, which the Bible makes it very clear, every single person who places their faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within them, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 6, 19. So the parables now are going to explain in story form exactly what he's been talking about for those first 31 verses. And in your book, you go through each of those parables and explain them. Time's not going to permit us to do that, but there's really great significant teaching that comes from those parables. Well, absolutely. And basically, I can cap put all of these parables into one simple statement. God is saying, listen, you had better be watching, you had better be preparing, and you had better be working for me while you're waiting for my return. That's exactly what he's telling to the saints that will uh, come to Christ during that seven-year tribulation period. Watch, wait, and 
Keep looking because I'm coming back. In Matthew 25, starting at verse 31, uh, we begin hearing of another judgment, the judgment of the nations, and uh, speaks of separating sheep from goats. Could you give us some insight on this? Well, here's another parable that is often misinterpreted, speaking of things happening during the church age. Again, what is he talking about here? He's When Jesus returns, and Matthew 25 is bringing about what's going to happen after the seven-year tribulation as Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom. And the Bible makes it very clear when Jesus sets up that kingdom, if you will, all the people that are left, which are not, in my opinion, there's not going to be a whole lot of people left on earth. Matthew 24, 22 says, unless uh, the days have been shortened to that three and a half years, that seven year period, no flesh would be saved. So we have a, uh, and we have no idea how many, but a small amount of people compared to at least the 7.3 billion that exists today. The nations will stand before God, and he says, listen, if you turn to me, if you served me during the tribulation time, and basically the issue is, had they really placed their faith and trust in Christ or not? The ones on the left hand or the goats, he tells us right here, they're not entering into the kingdom, but they will enter into eternal punishment. Those that enter into that 1,000-year millennial kingdom on the right hand or the sheep will be brought in. And quite frankly, and this is an amazing thing, all those individuals that enter the kingdom in those earthly bodies, they're going to live a thousand years, the Bible tells us. And uh, just very quickly, he says, well, how can a person live a thousand years? Well, let me take you back to the Old Testament. The oldest person on record is Methuselah, who lived 969 years old. So can God preserve a body for a thousand years? Absolutely. And others lived greater than 900 years during that time as well. The latter part of Matthew chapter 25 speaks about helping the hungry, the thirsty, giving clothes to those in need, taking in strangers, helping those who are down and out. And some have used this as a proof text for the social gospel. Is that what this is referring to? Well, absolutely not. Again, this is a prophetic passage spoken by Jesus during things that are taking place during the horrible, catastrophic seven-year tribulation period. What's going to be taking place now, and again, boy, we've gone through this fast, but what it's going to be so devastating. Again, well over 50% of the Earth's population is going to die. The question is, who are the least of these, my brethren? Well, those of us that hold to a conservative, biblical a literal interpretation, believe Jesus is talking to, referring to the Jewish people. There's chosen people, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. And basically the way they've treated those that Satan set out to persecute. And, well, let's just go to one other verse. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9 tells us that two-thirds of all Jewish people will die. The worst Holocaust has yet to happen. The horrible one that happened, if you will, around the Second World War, six million Jews died. Today, there's about 14.5 million Jewish people. When you take and consider uh, the massive amount of Jewish people that will die, two-thirds, that is greater than the six million Jews that died in the Holocaust. It's a horrible event that will take place, but God's word must and will come true. Pastor Richard Schmidt with us here today, and uh, the parables, the the passage here, the Olivet Discourse, you referred to even with the goats here, deals with the fate of the unrighteous. What is that fate? Well, the horrible, horrible truth is, and it's, Jim, we have to be honest, it's very politically incorrect, but it's biblically spot on. Revelation 21.8 makes it very clear that all who perish without Christ will spend their eternity, not just a second or two of punishment. Revelation 21.8 makes it very clear, the eternal lake of fire and brimstone. Now, the question is, and I, th- I think we've got to state this, God is not willing that any should perish. He's willing that all people, he, he never created hell, the eternal fire for us. He actually created it for the devil and the angels, and the Bible tells us that. So there is a way for every single person to escape this. Many will choose not to, but how's the escape? Very quickly, the gospel is we've all sinned. We've all come short of God's glory. And because we've sinned, if we got what we deserve, we would all spend eternity in that awful place called hell. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, gave his life. He was crucified. He was buried, and he rose again from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And everyone who by faith who will accept the free gift of eternal life by placing their faith in what Jesus did for them will live with him forever, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It really boils down to today. Today is that day of salvation, is it not? 
Absolutely. Uh, and that's why, folks, uh, I encourage anyone listening, if uh, you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know if you'll live through the night. Place your faith in Christ today or all these horrible things we've talked about. If it happens in our generation, unfortunately, you will be there. So we talked about how this impacts unbelievers. How should this Olivet Discourse impact believers living today? Well, again, uh, uh, we're looking forward, as a Christian, we're looking forward to the rapture of the church. All these signs that are being spoken about in the Olivet Discourse are things that will happen after we're gone. There's no sign that needs to happen before Jesus Christ returns in the clouds to take us to be with him. Again, 1 Thessalonians four thirteen to 18. But there's great application here. Just as the Jewish people, those alive during the tribulation, are encouraged to watch, to look, to work, and to be looking for that second appearing, we are looking for Jesus to come back. So what should we be as God's people? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 makes it very clear. Now then, Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. Everything we do should be centered on a biblical world view. Everything we say, everything we do should be pointing to who Jesus is and why people need to place their faith and trust in his finished work on the cross. So in light of these horrible judgments that are coming and and outlined here through the Olivet Discourse with with uh, taking us into the book of Revelation where this really unfolds, it really ought to be a motivator for us to share the good news in such a time as this. Absolutely. Our time may be short. Jim, the unfortunate thing is if Jesus does come back and take his church home even today, which it could happen, boy, this world, it's going to break out into lawlessness. Horrible, horrible things are going to be taking place. <laughs> Look at the lawlessness we're seeing today. That's just a microcosm of what's going to take place. That should be a warning. Time to act. Time to get busy. Time to stop being uh, sitting in the pew on our blessed assurance and get out there and do something for God. Our phone number to crosstalk today, 800-733-9829. If you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Schmidt today or just a brief comment, uh, 1-800-733-9829. Our call-in number here today for Crosstalk. If you'd like to obtain a copy of the book, and folks, we have run through this book in rapid fashion today. There's a lot of material, a lot of information there to unfold. We're making it available our way of saying thank you for your support of $15 or more, and that includes even the shipping to get to you. Uh, you can contact our switchboard at one 800 729 That's one 800 729-9829, or by going to our website, vcyamerica.org, vcyamerica.org. It's called Tribulation to Triumph, the Olivet Discourse, and uh, available uh, through our website to you uh, as well, through the program. We were going to get a call in before the break, uh, Eddie in Texas. Hi, Eddie, you're on the air. Hi, thank you for taking my call, brother. I, I just want to ask, you know, uh, I was mentioning some verses right now. One that can you explain maybe a little bit like Hebrews nine twenty seven? It is a sentence for men to die once, and after this judgment, which this judgment will be taken in what part uh, when we will be judged for the people that are not saved, brother? Okay, thank you, Eddie. All right, Eddie. Well, you referenced Hebrews chapter nine twenty seven, and I'm sure everybody doesn't have it memorized, so we'll we'll share it very quickly. And the verse says this: and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. All right, so what we're talking about is, and and this is an, a very important thing, every single person has a day that God is going to end their life. It, it's just pointed out here. It's a point unto men once to die, the judgment will come. Well, the issue is, what judgment are you going to be facing? Are you going to be facing the white throne judgment? Are you going to be facing the Bema seat judgment as a Christian? Uh, we have to, there's a whole lot to that answer. So unfortunately, <laughs> uh, we'll just leave it at that for right now. Okay, we'll just have a brief explanation following the uh, the break here. This is Crosstalk on VCY America. Pastor Richard Schmidt, our guest here today on the broadcast. Back in one minute here on the VCY America Network. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Last week, Salam Rushdie was stabbed 10 to 15 times and barely survived. Many know him as a fictional writer writing a book that, well, many say in the Islamic world insulted Muhammad and the Quran. 
For that, a fatwa was put on his head in 1989, and reportedly, Iran never let him forget. They were sure to mail him a card, a letter, every year reminding him they had not forgotten about him. Well, it took from 1989 to 2022, but now it's reported that the man that stabbed him swears an allegiance and loyalty to the head of Iran. Where is the media telling you about this? Oh, and another story. All the Muslims that were dying in New Mexico by a supposed Islamophobic individual turned out to be another Muslim. The media is not telling the American people the truth about either one of these stories. But we are, and that's why this network is so important. I'm Brandon House. Friends, much information to unfold today and a lot uh, contained in the book, Tribulation to Triumph, the Olivet Discourse, taking you through uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. If you missed uh, contact information, we'll give you that before we close. Uh, so, Pastor, the, the caller was just asking about the, this judgment that follows. We're talking two separate judgments. Let's First of all, there's a judgment for believers. Is that correct? There is. And uh, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about uh, uh, that will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And there's other passages. So as uh, in Hebrews, he's not actually referencing that. What he, uh, But we want to make it clear because people know they're Christians. It's like, well, I'm going to be judged for what I did wrong. No, the Christian is only rewarded, quite frankly, for what they did right. Wood, hay, stubble, burns up, gold, uh, stones, if you will, the precious stones, precious gems. Those are the positive things we did after conversion, after we trust Christ, not before. You're not rewarded for anything until you trust Christ, then good works come. What uh, Hebrews 9 is mainly centering on is, listen, for those uh, if that come to Christ, specifically, again, it's Hebrews. He's talking to a Jewish audience specifically, and Gentiles as well, but there is a judgment to come for those who refuse Christ. That will be at the great white throne judgment spoken about in the book of Revelation. And whoever was not found written in the book of life cast into the lake of fire. Absolutely. Let's go uh, next to uh, Don in Cantonment, Florida. You're on the air. Yes, thank you, man. I appreciate every word you guys are saying. Can't wait for Jesus to come. You referenced Revelation, uh, Pastor, 21.8 earlier, and it's a great verse. Uh, I just want to make the point that it's not just the mortal sinners that go or the venial sinners. It's liars are included in that list there along with whoremongers, etc., and the unbeliever in that Jesus is the only way to uh, salvation. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you, Don. Uh, let's go next to Fred in Milwaukee. You're on the air, Fred. Yes, I was wondering if you could tell me anything about the girl, uh, woman, young lady McCormick, that uh, about 150 years ago gave the rapture to uh, Pastor McCormick that developed the Schofield Bible, and it has the dispensations in it, if you're familiar with that. Well, I'm I'm not quite sure what, uh, the lady that you're referring to, but of course, Schofield was one of uh, the individuals that wrote regarding dispensational theology or the timeline uh, for those who take the Bible literally. Now, there's many others that have done the same thing, but certainly Schofield was one of those. Well, so what is the origin of this word rapture that you made? Oh, the word rapture, certainly. Well, the actual word rapture comes from the Latin, not the Greek or the Hebrew in which the Bible was written, but it's actually from the Latin raptura. What does it mean? It means to be caught up, to be snatched away. So when we use the word rapture, for whatever reason, that's what the theologians have latched onto is the Latin instead of, if you will, uh, the Greek word or uh, Hebrew word, which wouldn't count here. It's uh, only in the New Testament, so it would be Greek. But anyway, the rapture, the rapture is definitely out of the Latin language, not the Greek. So it is the words caught up is what the, where the word rapture, rapture comes from. Right. So from 1 Thessalonians 4, when you look at caught up, that is the word in Latin, which is rapturo, and that is why theologically that word has gotten traction. We've got Gary calling next from northern Wisconsin. Gary, you're on the air. Yes, thank you. Uh, I listened to Chuck Missler, and uh, he said that Howard Johnson— uh, the hotel chain was going to build a hotel on Mount Olives, and they found out they had to change their plans because there was a fault line running through it. I don't know if there's any truth to that or if it's a rumor or what. 
Well, I think what, uh, if I'm getting your point, Gary, the point is that when Jesus returns in Zechariah chapter 14, the Mount of Olives literally is going to split in two. So uh, if there's a fault line in there, so be it. Uh, but definitely, there's no doubt about it, that mountain will split in two, just as uh, Zechariah prophesied again in chapter 14, the first four verses. Thank you for the call. Anne is next in Shorewood, Wisconsin. You're on the air, Anne. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just have a question. When we talk about uh, the book of Revelation, where a large amount of the population will, dis- will, will be destroyed, what is your thoughts about these characters like Bill Gates and um, that want calling for extreme population control now? What do is, what is they think they're, I mean, how do they think they have power to, you know, get rid of large parts of the population? Or what is this all about with him talking about population control? And then I'll get off the air and you can answer. Mm, thank you. Well, that's a great question, Ann. And boy, that's something as prophecy teachers we're keeping a close eye on. So here's some of the things that are happening. China's buying up farmland. Bill Gates is buying up farmland. Basically, they're saying, listen, we're going to uh, basically control how many people have access to food, if indeed that is what they intend. So if indeed there is going to be this population reduction, uh, we look at COVID, we look at pandemics, all these things are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. So yes, I think these things are, uh, uh, is Satan using them as a distraction or as a counterfeit to what God's judgments are going to be? Or is God actually going to latch onto these and they're part of the pestilences and things that will take place during the tribulation? Well, I thank God I won't be here to see it, but it very well could be. Our final call, Zach in Lebanon, Tennessee. You're on the air, Zach. Yes, I was calling about the uh, return of Jesus and the rapture. Um, I was wanting to see about the cross-references between Matthew 13 and Revelation 16, where it talks about him coming as a thief. And You're breaking up here, Zach. I, so the, 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 the two chapters you mentioned? So yeah, in Revelation 16, he says, Behold, I come as a thief in the night. Jesus does at the end. Mm-hmm. And then also in uh, Matthew 13, he talks about not being able to come to the literal end because removing one without the other would cause, uh, you might accidentally pull up someone who might make it to heaven who hasn't had the chance of salvation yet. And that's why you need to wait to the end to pull both up at the same time, the wheat and the tares. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Thank you, Zach. Uh, Pastor, we've got 45 seconds. All right, Zach. Well, best I can say, and for all the listeners, here's, here's the two-second answer. I, and again, My goal is not to sell books, but I think it's a great thing because on page 184, I go through about 11 different differences between the rapture and the second coming. That are those are things that you really need to see. It's in chart form. We have a massive amount of charts within the book. All the things we've talked about very, very quickly are written in a nice logical way so you can understand the things that we have punched out in the matter of a few minutes. So again, uh, I would encourage you, as uh, uh, the offer is there, take advantage of it. It's a great price for a ton of information. It took me over two years to put the book together with all the charts, and hopefully it's a help to you. And all the scripture references are there for each one of those many points. Uh, Folks, it's a powerful book and a great uh, informational tool to guide you through these chapters of scripture. Our way of saying thank you for your gift of $15 or more, available at vcyamerica.org or by calling 800-729-9829. Pastor Schmidt, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks so much for having me again. And folks, thanks for joining us today on Crosstalk. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from VCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from crosstalkamerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.